KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. It's time for Midday Edition on KPBS. Today, we are talking about some of the arts and culture events happening in San Diego this weekend. I'm Jade Hindman. Here's to conversations that keep you informed, inspired, and make you think. Unity and identity are on display at the Chicano Park Museum. I just think that a show like this us uniting, us organizing, and deciding that the, that the border doesn't matter, that we can all show together, that we're all here together, it sort of validates it on, in the bigger picture, in the bigger scope. Plus, San Diego Opera will be staging Grand Opera with a twist this season, and we'll talk more about performances happening this weekend in your weekend preview. That's ahead on Midday Edition. First, the news. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. The Chicano Park Museum debuted a new exhibit called Sonde Aya y Sonde Aka earlier this month. It's a celebration of contemporary Chicano and Latino art from across the American Southwest, and it features more than 40 artists. Valerie Jaimes is the interim executive director at the museum. Valerie, welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for the warm welcome, Jade. Rigoberto Luna and Vicente Tellez are the exhibit's curators. Thank you both for joining us, too. Hi, Jade. Thanks so much for having us. Hello, Jade. Thank you for having, having me. Rigoberto, I'm going to start with you. How did the exhibit first get started? About two years ago, um, during COVID, actually, I guess two and a half years ago, maybe, I met Vicente Tellez. We got together and kind of wanted to pull our communities together, introduce artists, bridge these artist communities and kind of give an introduction to the artists that are working in our communities to the states that they're in. So uh, originally it was just California, New Mexico and Texas. We introduced Arizona with the help of Christian Ramirez. Uh, so this project, we we initially started in Albuquerque. We did a, a multi-venue exhibition with over 70 artists. And so this is sort of the second phase where we're now in in California and we hope to go to Denver and Texas and in each stop add additional artists. So Valerie, the opening of this exhibit actually coincides with the museum's one year anniversary. How does it feel to be reaching that milestone? It's definitely an honor to be a part of it and a huge blessing to see how it has impacted our community thus far, even before our opening. But now that we have reached our one year mark, it has really been a testament to the communities uh, mobilizing and organizing to get this to where we are. And the sacrifices and the historical context to this uh, community is, has left such a great impact for all of us. So to see it here, to be at a, our one year, it's very emotional. And 
I'm overwhelmed with that honor. And so I'm very grateful to be here. I'm so happy that the community was able to celebrate with us and continue to celebrate with us as we, you know, continue on this legacy. It's going to be the first of many years. So I'm very excited. I The first word that came to my mind was just very emotional and overwhelming empowerment. Yeah. And Rigoberto, can you walk us through some of the art pieces uh, that we can see at the exhibit? Uh, we have work from, a, I want to say, 48 artists. You'll see um, sort of works that are inspired by the materiality of the different states that they live in. A lot of artists are working with uh, found objects, sculptures. You'll see a lot of paintings, of course, but we also have multimedia pieces, video and projection. It's a little bit of everything. Um, I think one thing that it shows is that we have a lot of ways of expressing ourselves, uh, telling our stories. The The show definitely highlights a variety of ways in which people can talk about identity and their heritage and and just um, all, all, all of those aspects of, of our existence. And the exhibit really emphasizes the different states you're all from. Like Rigoberto, you're from San Antonio, Texas, which has a big Hispanic and Latino community. Uh, can you talk more about how location and identity plays into the exhibit? For me, I'm very proud of both my, my Mexican heritage and then also of the state that I was born in and have grown up in. Um, I, I think what's great is that Vicente is equally as proud of being from New Mexico uh, as Islas is of uh, being from San Diego. Um, and I think that's what makes us really work is that we're we're all very proud of, of who we are, where we came from, and uh, the talent that exists where we are. And I think that's what's made this project work so well is that we've it's really been a passion project for the three of us. And so for me personally, um, being in San Diego, being in Chicano Park, it, it really has been something that I've always wanted to do in my lifetime. Um, and I didn't think that it was going to be organizing an exhibition, but what I couldn't think of a better way. And plus with the one year anniversary, it's just really been an incredible project to work on with Valerie and her team. Oh, yeah. I mean, so tell me, like, how does the art really speak to the experience of living in a border community? I mean, you'll see works that are very specific to the borderlands in Texas. I think um, that's something unique about it is that we, San Diego, which borders with Tijuana, I wanted to bring in artists from the areas of like Brownsville and Laredo uh, to bring that sort of borderland flavor that you get only in Texas, right? I mean, they're also, they're similar, but uh, they're unique in their own ways. I think anyone that sort of experiences the exhibition will see that while we all have similar backgrounds, we all have different ways that are arriving to solutions for for this like contemporary work that, that you'll see in the show. So, you know, it's no secret that there's there's issues at the border and those issues and the history of of those issues are are on display in the exhibition. It, it's really difficult to describe. I think people just need to go out and experience it for themselves. And, you know, Vicente, one of your pieces, El Vaso, is featured at the exhibit, and you, you can feel hints of Van Gogh's work. Can you describe what it looks like for us and the meaning behind it? Well, yeah, you know, it's very, very Van Gogh-inspired, you know, 
my tocayo, you know, me being named Vicente and him being Vincent, um, I was had the experience of going to the Philadelphia Museum of Art and seeing Van Gogh's sunflowers and, you know, seeing the flowers with all their personality and, you know, and the wilting of the sunflowers. And at this time, I had just moved back from San Diego, you know, and experiencing what was happening on the border, what was happening with, you know, the border patrol taking, you know, these jugs of water and pouring them out or stabbing them. And it just seemed like a fitting marriage of, you know, something so iconic as Van Gogh and his and his sunflowers and kind of use the idea of the vase as a vessel, you know, a vessel of life, a vessel of water. I use flowers that could be found in each state along the border and in Mexico. In the painting, you know, you have your blues, you have your yellows, you have your lavenders, you have your oranges. And, and through those colors, you can see the water jug that has been cut and is draining of water and these flowers that are no longer being able to have their roots in it, you know, slowly dissipating. They become wilted. They become, you know, this this symbol of this life that's taken from these people um, by this act. And in order to put something in such a that's such a heavy topic is how do we put it into a format that allows the viewer to come in and experience and then, you know, think and contemplate on on this painting, much like I, I was able to do and sit and contemplate Van Gogh's sunflowers at the at the museum is hopefully putting it into just this harmony of color that will bring you in to tell such a, you know, a, a very difficult story of what's happening to you know, people at the border. Also, the exhibit is, you know, it's pushing back against assumptions about art from the Southwest. And so this question is for all of you. Can you talk more about the misconceptions people hold about art from the region or contemporary Chicano and Latino art in general? I think one thing that this show is trying to show exhibit is that we're not a monolith. Uh, going back to what Rigo's saying, we have these individual voices that has shared experience, but we're not a monolith. And as you go through the exhibition, you can see the experiences lived and you can see, you know, it's not always a figurative painting. And I think for me, as being from Nuevo Mexico, I think it's showing the value in, you know, generations of creators that have come from here and putting them into a stage with with their you know neighbors of Texas, Arizona, and California, and shows that you know I could speak for myself that we have family that are in each one of these states, and you know just kind of having those conversations that this is an art form and these are creators that are going to have to be recognized sooner rather than later. I think um, one thing that always goes through my mind is sort of the erasure of the histories of that have happened, um, being that all four of these states were part of Mexico at one point. You know, there's a lot of history that we didn't learn in school. Sometimes you learn about these things from creatives, writers, poets, artists. Uh, they're usually the ones that dig up or uncover these, these histories or these past. And so when you see Southwest, or when I think of Southwest art, I always, you know, you see the, the beautiful landscapes and the cowboys and those kinds of stories, but we've, many of us, many of our families have lived in these areas for 
they always lived here, right? So the border crossed them, as they often say. I just think that a show like this, us uniting, us organizing, and deciding that the that the border doesn't matter, that we can all show together, that we're all here together, and that we're all sharing our histories, and they're all valid. It sort of validates it on, in the bigger picture, in the bigger scope. I mean, it's hard to ignore when you have 48 artists, and I think that's ultimately our goal. If I may jump in as well and add on to that, I think uh, here at the museum, we've strived so hard to make it a point to uplift these uh, these stories that are often untold or were strategically erased or oppressed. And uh, we want to continue to do that. So for us, it's been such a pleasure and an honor to see these artists come together to see these curators come together and work on these pieces. For me, it's really beautiful to see because I recognize that the struggle does stretch across the land, you know, with borders or without borders. I feel that along with that, it is also the resilience. And I think that they really hit the nail on the head when they said that, you know, the identity and placemaking is so important. And for us at the museum here at the CPMCC, it's really important that we uplift that and empower and uh, create these sacred spaces that hold space for that. And so it's been really great to see the show come into fruition and see all of the hard work that these curators have put in, but also these artists uh, to meet one another and share their struggles and share their, their successes and victories. And so that's really important for us. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, we're talking about stories and, you know, stories shape hearts and minds, hearts and minds shape policies. How important is your artwork, you all think, to educating people and ultimately helping to shape policy? I think, you know, it starts with the name of the show, Sondeaya, Sondeaka. The power is we are from here and we are from there. And we have to take, you know, agency over that, you know, there's a common saying, ni de allá, ni de aquí, ni de acá. And for me, it's kind of, you know, we're pushing it back against that. We're taking agency and we're trying to show that, you know, with this show, with all these creators coming from these different communities, that we are from here and we are from there and it's okay. You know, we have to tell our story. We have to be the ones to, you know, put it out there. We have to, you know, be the storytellers and story makers. And I think the show and the exhibit, you know, hopefully embodies that. And, you know, that we can't let the border isn't just a physical thing. It's, you know, it can be running through our thoughts and, and you know, in certain mentalities. And we have to take agency that we are from here. Like Rigo said, some of us have been here, you know, part of us have been here in memoriam and some parts of us have come, you know, since the 1500s. So we have been in some way in this part of the world for time in memoriam. Right. And much of the art gives people an opportunity to look and see themselves in that art and learn about their culture and connect with their culture, right? I don't think it's just uh, the audience themselves. I think for the artists, a lot of these artists and, and being an artist, it, it can be isolating and you spend a lot of time in your studio. So you don't get to see what your contemporaries are doing, especially when you're only working from one particular place. And so I think for a lot of these artists, the excitement was to meet these people that maybe that they've followed on social media or they've seen online. Um, but to be able to 
uh, reach out and talk to them and then establish these connections. We've seen success from our previous show where artists are getting opportunities in, in new states, exhibiting with artists that they met in, in the previous show. And hopefully that continues after this one. But I, I just think it, it makes you feel seen. It makes you feel like you're not so isolated when you are surrounded by other people that are experiencing similar um, traumas, but also like things that just look familiar to us things that are very specific to our culture that maybe they're kind of inside jokes to us. Um, but when once you realize that there's all these other people that get it too, there's, it's just a warm feeling. I, hard to explain in any other way. It's amazing how art connects so much, whether it's identity, people, culture, history. There's always a thread that, that connects us all through artwork. I've been speaking with Valerie Jaimes, the Interim Executive Director at the Chicano Park Museum, Rigoberto Luna, and Vicente Tellez, the exhibit's curators. You can see the exhibit at the Chicano Park Museum in Barrio Logan from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Friday through Sunday. Youth 18 and under get in free. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Jade. Coming up, San Diego Opera launches a new season next week with a concert. When we do these sorts of concerts, the conductor works very closely with the artist to curate a program of their choosing. And that's one of the things I like about these concerts is we really get a sense of who these artists are from the repertoire that they choose. Beth Accomando has the preview. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Welcome back to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. San Diego Opera launches its new season next Wednesday with a concert at the Balboa Theater. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando previews the season with San Diego Opera's general director, David Bennett. David, we are on the eve of the start of a new opera season. So tell us what we have coming up first. Well, our first uh, event is a wonderful one-night-only concert that we are calling Grammy Greats Unite. And it is two wonderful singers who have been here before, Latonia Moore and Janae Bridges. And they actually were here together the last time they sang in San Diego. They were in our last production of Madama Butterfly, Latonia Moore soprano, Janae Bridges mezzo-soprano.
they'll be performing a varied program with lots of operatic favorites, music theater, little George Gershwin, also a little Edith Piaf. So a nice program with members of the San Diego Symphony and conducted by our resident conductor, Bruce Stasna. And so when we do these sorts of concerts, the conductor, Bruce in this case, works very closely with the artist to curate a program of their choosing. And that's one of the things I like about these concerts is we really get a sense of who these artists are from the repertoire that they choose. So this will be on October 25th, 7.30 p.m. at the Balboa Theater. And it is a, a brief concert. It's a little under 90 minutes, but without intermission. So a nice quick evening of wonderful operatic favorites with two wonderful artists to open our season. And why did you want to open with this? Does this go a little bit towards, you used to have the series Detour, but this, this sense of opera may be more than one thing. It absolutely does. And so, yeah, that's one of my goals since I've been here is to explore the breadth of what we can call or what we do consider opera, right? And we've also been thinking about the expressive potency of the human voice being the centerpiece of everything that we do. You may know that this past year we had a rebranding and we have a new tagline, which is every voice tells a story. And why that's important to us is that gives everyone that attends, new and old audiences for San Diego Opera, the understanding that they'll see themselves in some way in the work that we do. And so it's important that we provide a varied series of programs through the year, some grand operas, some smaller things, and some concerts. So this felt like a celebratory way to start. And since you brought up the idea of Every Voice Tells a Story, the next opera in your season is going to be another mariachi opera. We are, yes. El Milagro del Recuerdo, which is the miracle of remembering. And it is the third in this series of mariachi operas that started off being commissioned by Houston Grand Opera. The second one was commissioned by Chicago Lyric and the third Houston again. And we are co-producers with Houston Grand Opera of this wonderful Christmas mariachi opera. The story is really about Mexicans who have to come to America to work to support their families and what they gain by that security, but also what they leave behind. So it has very funny moments, very beautiful moments, and it's told with this gorgeous music that we love, mariachi. But it's a very beautiful, poignant Christmas opera. And you know, Every ballet company does the Nutcracker, it seems, right? So we, I think the opera industry has been looking for what is our Nutcracker. And this is a wonderful way to celebrate Christmas in the medium of opera. And how does it feel to be having a mariachi opera in San Diego, which is a border town? And does this bring in a different audience for you? They have in the past, right? So this will be the third one. And the two that we've done before did bring in a new audience, lots of new ticket buyers. Some of them have stayed with us, which is good, right? And we expect that will happen in this, and then some will come just for this performance. But, you know, we are the only opera company in the United States that exists on the international border. So we actually have a responsibility, but we also have an opportunity when we think about our repertoire to engage our community, which extends beyond the border. And it's also very important for us if we look at the demographic trends in our community to make sure that we're engaging the future of the population of San Diego. Now, somebody coming to look at the schedule for this coming year's opera season may notice something different, which is the number of performances and when they're performed has changed. So explain what prompted this. Like 
virtually every opera company in the United States, and I would say all, all performing arts organizations, you know, we're at this moment post-COVID where everything is very much more expensive. And that's just the nature of the world we live in right now. So everything's become much more expensive and contributions have stayed consistent, which is good, but quite static. And at the same moment, audiences are returning slowly, but they're they're not returning at the same levels that we had pre-COVID. Uh, we're still down about 1.4 million last year. We closed about $1.4 million less in box office revenue than we did in our last pre-COVID full year. So that's quite significant. There's some bright news in that, that we have a lot of new, what we call new to file ticket buyers last year. And that those are people that had never come to an opera before. So that's a very good indicator, but we're rebuilding that audience. And so in, we find ourselves in this moment where supply and demand are you know, what they are, that we have less demand than the supply of opera that we were providing. And, you know, one of our core value statements focuses on fiscal responsibility and adaptiveness and making sure that we are adaptive to current circumstances so we can be here for the future of our community. And I think the irresponsible thing for us to do, because opera production is so expensive, would be to produce more opera than is being demanded or being consumed in our community right now. So that's really what it is. It's a temporary adjustment thinking about supply and demand. You know, the idea of doing fewer performances seems like it's counterintuitive to making more money. But explain how doing a grand opera at the Civic Theater is so expensive per performance. Yeah, every time we open our doors, we lose money, you know, so and that's just the nature of a nonprofit performing arts organization. But particularly in opera, the per performance cost at the Civic Theater has increased from 2017 was $325,000 per performance. And last year was $415,000 per performance at the Civic Theater. And that's not because we're paying exorbitant fees or anything. It's just the nature of producing opera. And, you know, we will oftentimes have in excess of 300 people that we engage when we're performing a particularly large opera. And box office just doesn't pay for that, right? Uh, in our expenses, last year, we closed the year with about 20% of our expenses being covered by ticket revenue. That means the other 80% has to be covered from donations. And since we brought up the Civic Theater, one thing that you have to consider at this point in time is, will the Civic Theater still be there in the future? It's an interesting moment in uh, the life of a San Diego performing arts organization. I feel more confident now than I did a couple of months ago. So for those that are listening to this may know or may not know that the city declared the land that includes the Civic Theater, what's called surplus land, termed it surplus land through the state of California, which allows it to be redeveloped and allows the whole area around the Civic Theater to be redeveloped, which is a good thing. By declaring it surplus land, that allows a big portion of this property to be redeveloped with affordable housing. But they did not require developers to include a theater in their responses. 
So that left us scratching our heads saying, will there actually be a theater in San Diego, a renovated Civic or a new theater in San Diego? The responses that came back have not been strong. Let's put it that way. There was one response and that was only for one building near the Civic Theater and that was to convert it into housing. It's the 101 Ash Street building that we all know. So that means that the city will now go out and ask for developers to respond to specific parts of this bigger site. So we don't know what's going to happen with the Civic Theater, but I feel more hopeful I also feel like we have more time to consider this. I don't think it's an imminent threat. And I do think that that bodes well for the perhaps a renovated Civic Theater. And the Civic Theater is a fine theater. It's has a lot of good attributes. It could use a facelift, but with a redeveloped central core around the Civic Theater, that would be a very exciting thing. And explain why opera needs a venue like that, a venue of that scale. What you see on an opera stage is only a portion of what is happening backstage. And if you've ever been backstage to see this, and the same thing with music theater, to be honest, there's a lot of activity backstage. There is the sets that might be for the second act. There are numbers of crew that we have, stage labor, costume labor, wig and makeup labor. We have an orchestra that obviously is sometimes on the stage, which we're doing this year, but is most likely in a pit, an orchestra pit. And there are only three theaters that are really suitable south of Los Angeles for the production of opera and ballet and music theater. And there is one that's in Costa Mesa, and there's one that's in Escondido, and the Civic Theater is the third one. And so without a theater like the Civic, and that doesn't mean the number of seats it's really about the orchestra pit, dressing rooms, backstage, all of the things that you need to produce grand opera. Without a theater like that, we would not be able to produce the operatic repertoire that people expect. But for now, we do still have it. And you will be having some grand opera coming up this season. And what are those? We will. So the first of them is Don Giovanni. And this is the third in... a. A trio of operas that Mozart wrote with De Ponte as the librettist, and we've done the other two recently. We did La Nozze de Figaro, we did Così Fan Tutte, and Don Giovanni is the third. And we're doing it in a bit of a unique way. So we will have the San Diego Symphony Orchestra on stage with the singers, with scenic elements, with use of projection and video and costumed. So it will be a, a dynamic new production that we're putting together with a beautiful, very talented young director who's worked here a number of times. But it may remind audiences of perhaps a concert by Taylor Swift or <laughs> Katy Perry. Or so it will it will have props, it will have costumes, it will have scenic elements, but it will be very vibrant. And if we know the audience knows the story of Don Giovanni. It's about Don Juan. So sex is a big part of this opera. And so I think it will be a very alluring opera to witness. I'm very excited about it. And we have a terrific young cast and it's conducted by our principal conductor, Eva Bell, who's just an international gem as an opera conductor. And then we go on to the third opera, which is Madame Butterfly, which is one of Puccini's uh, most beloved operas. And it's been many years, I think seven or eight years since we produced Madame Butterfly. 
We have two terrific singers in the principal roles, uh, Adam Smith and Corinne Winters. And this will also be conducted by Eve Abel, our principal conductor. And then you'll close out the season with another concert. So we have the bookends of concerts. And the final concert is also at the Balboa Theater. And it is Joshua Guerrero and Andrea Carroll, who have both performed here. Josh has been in a concert as well as in our drive-in La Boheme. And Andrea Carroll was also in our drive-in La Boheme. And a little tease here, they both have worked with us recently in a film that we've made of La Hija de Rappuccini, which is an opera by Daniel Catan that we actually did the professional premiere of here in San Diego in 1994. And we've made a film of it. The film will be released later in this year and we'll have some teases of the film as part of their concert. All right, well, it sounds like another exciting opera season. I think so. I'm very proud of it, very excited. That was Beth Accomando speaking with San Diego Opera's General Director, David Bennett. The new opera season kicks off next Wednesday at the Balboa Theater. Still ahead, Julia Dixon-Evans tells us what's in her weekend preview. They combine choreography with something else. It started with choreo and skate. They've done rock climbing, kickball, kite flying, and now karaoke. Find out more when we return. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Welcome back to Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. For our weekend arts preview, we have free Shakespeare plays, youth photography, and contemporary dance combined with karaoke. Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts producer and editor Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, welcome. Hey, Jade. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. So let's start with the karaoke. This might be a first for the weekend preview. (laughs) Tell us why you picked this one. Right. It's it's actually a component of this really creative contemporary dance company show. It's from Disco Riot, and this is their Choreo and series. They combine choreography with something else. It started with Choreo and Skate. That was at the roller rink, and in between dances, the audience could lace up their own skates and move their bodies. They've done rock climbing, kickball, kite flying, and now karaoke. And I talked to Disco Riot's Zakia Mahler Salinas and asked her why they keep coming back to this format. The choreo and activity plus performance model gives people an opportunity to experience performance in a different way and participate in community with others around something that brings, you know, some joy and some fun and maybe lightness in a way that like sitting in a theater and watching a performance doesn't necessarily do. 
Uh, and I do think that we find we have folks who don't always come to the theater that show up to choreo and events, especially um, with our past couple of choreo and events with choreo and kickball and choreo and fly um, with wow festival, lots of families with kids who like can't sit in a theater or don't want to, you know, you don't want to make your kids sit through a whole show, but you want to expose them to art. So for the show, the audience participation element is karaoke. So in between the choreography, you can sign up to sing a song and no experience needed. It's actually no experience preferred almost with karaoke. (laughs) And it's also all themed around Halloween. So the dances are inspired by horror or folklore or or general creepy stuff. Um, This is the brainchild of Disco Riot's Marty Dorado, who loves Halloween. And they have a lineup of dances that tap into that scary spirit in in really different ways. One of them is inspired by text from Edgar Allan Poe. Some of them play with magical realism. And then there's one, this is from choreographer Tina Carreras, that's pretty overtly inspired by horror movies, specifically The Shining and A Nightmare on Elm Street. This is Tina Carreras. I decided that I would kind of play with the characters from those movies. So Freddy Krueger, and Danny Torrance, who's the little boy in The Shining, I thought, what what would happen if these two characters met? And why would they meet? And could I make a dance about these two characters? And she said she picked up on some of the visual motifs, like things each character did with their hands, as well as those iconic sweaters. And the dancers kind of embody these characters. She's also playing with the music and the different ways that those two soundtracks use sound and noise to ramp up the terror. And I, I love to see horror informing art in unexpected ways, like like choreography. I think that's fascinating. Like, why are we drawn to things that scare us or make us uncomfortable or even gross us out a little bit? And mm-hmm. Zakia Mahler-Salinas from Disco Riot, she said that she likens it to kids role-playing or, or acting out situations that ultimately help them navigate the world around them. I think that there's something about, like, looking at the dark side of things or the underside of things or the evil that's in the world and like really looking at it and seeing it in a way that gives us an opportunity to like be with it without it being truly scary. So this performance is one night only. It's seven o'clock on Saturday at Art Produce in North Park. It's all ages, though you should note that there'll be a creative approximation of a Freddy Krueger costume that's in Carrera's dance. And for the audience, costumes are encouraged, but not required. And tickets are $15. Sounds like it's going to be a good event. Uh, So let's stay with dance for one more. San Diego Ballet is performing Sleeping Beauty. Uh, What do you know about that one? So this one seems like it'll be really great for kids. This isn't just the Sleeping Beauty story because characters from a whole bunch of other fairy tales and children's books, they come together. Um, So think Little Red Riding Hood. And they will tell this new spin on the Sleeping Beauty story. This has San Diego Ballet's Stephanie Majorano in the lead role. And it's full of humor. It's fast-paced. And it should wrap up in about 90 minutes. So for those short attention spans. And shows are 7 o'clock on Friday and 2 o'clock on Saturday afternoon at the Joan B. Kroc Theater. The Museum of Photographic Arts has two new exhibits to check out this weekend at Balboa Park. Tell us about those. 
So first is James Balog's photographs from the Anthropocene. And this is really powerful photography. It captures the moment in history in terms of our human impact on the earth. He is an environmentalist and a, a nature photographer. And this, this influence is really tangible in his works. There's fire, ice, natural disasters, just incredible landscape photography. And then also some portraiture like firefighters or, or a fisherman holding an oil spill covered net or something a little more surreal or symbolic, like a chimpanzee with a curtain falling around it. Um, it's really, really beautiful stuff. And also opening is, this is always one of my favorite exhibits each year. It's the annual juried youth exhibition. This year's theme was exploration. And students in San Diego, this is grades K through 12. Anyone could submit entries. And the works that they chose that I have seen so far, they're fantastic and really fantastical. Like there's digital collage work and it's really creative and insightful. That show opens Saturday and it will be up for a while. It'll be up through next April. So be sure to stop in to MOPA and check it out. All right. And and Julia, tell me about City College Art Gallery. There's a group exhibit there honoring a former San Diego art professor, right? Yeah. So this is Walter Cotton. Uh, he was a beloved art professor and an artist. He he died in 2008, and uh, he taught photography and lithography at San Diego State for decades. And his influence is still pretty prominent among artists who studied with him. And I looked up a memorial that was written about him in the Daily Aztec in 2008. That's San Diego State's student paper. And his fellow professor, Richard Keeley, said that one of the things unique to Walter Cotton was that while many other art students would stop making art, his students would be making art for the rest of their lives. And here we are 15 years later, and there's a group show including many of his former students who are still making art. There's 21 artists, including his contemporaries and former students like Richard Keeley, Anna O'Kane, Neil Kendricks, Jason Cherry, and tons more. There's a reception from 5 to 7 on Saturday, and then it will be on view through December 8th. Also, there's a couple of interesting options for theater, including free performances from the Old Globe as part of their Globe for All tour. Um, how and where can people check out some free Shakespeare? Yeah, this is it's a twice yearly program that the Old Globe has where they take these stage productions and travel with them around the region, bringing the performances for free to libraries and community centers. And even at the end of the tour, there are some non-public performances that are at correctional centers and prisons. Um, and this time, they're performing Shakespeare's The Comedy of Errors. And this is a play about two sets of twins that were separated at birth and leading very different lives. There's lots of, of like mistaken identity stuff in this play, um, lots of humor. And I'm pretty sure I have told you this before, but the 1988 movie Big Business is technically an adaptation of The Comedy of Errors. That's the movie with Lily Tomlin and Bette Midler. But the play is, is really funny. The staging is said to bring to mind the Jersey Shore. So that could be a nice, interesting twist on it. So this weekend, there is a show in Tijuana. That's Friday night. And on Saturday night at St. John Chaldean Catholic Church in El Cajon, there's a community meal at 6.30 and then the performance at 7. And then on Sunday, there's a matinee at the Otay Mesa Nestor Library that they have a community meal at 12.15 and then the show is at 1 p.m. And then Sunday night 
at the Logan Heights Library. The meal is at 6.45 and the show is at 7.30. And these are all free. You can register in advance for the Logan Heights Library and the Tijuana performances, but the other ones are walk-in. And the tour continues through Sunday, November 5th. So they'll be in other places in the county for, for the rest of the month. Great. And another twist on a classic story is this production of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. This is the story that's really become a kind of a shorthand for describing a really volatile personality. Can you uh, tell us what's interesting about North Coast Rep's production of this? Right. So they're doing the script that's adapted by Jeffrey Hatcher. It's adapted from the Robert Louis Stevenson book. And Jeffrey Hatcher is also known for writing the stage adaptation of Tuesdays with Maury. Uh, He co-wrote that that play. And Hatcher's adaptation of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde set up to be almost playful with the casting. The actors take on several roles, and the role of Mr. Hyde is embodied by four different actors. So the story's familiar. It's this suspenseful investigation into Dr. Jekyll, and then the coincidences with this murderer, Mr. Hyde. But the adaptation and the staging, they promise to be really fresh and kind of non-traditional. And North Coast Rep is in Solana Beach, and they have shows every evening this weekend, plus matinees on Saturday and Sunday, and you can catch this one until November 12th. And finally, some music. Stay Strange is presenting an experimental guitar production uh, that's happening at Bread and Salt. Tell us about that. So this is in conjunction with Project Blank. They're a music and performance organization that does a ton of these outside-the-box art and, and collaboration productions. They've been doing a regular Salty series of, of shows at Bread and Salt. And this month's collaboration is with Noise Art Project Stay Strange, and it's a show of experimental guitar. There's a few performers, including hardcore punk musician Bobby Bray. Uh, he was in uh, bands like The Locust, so expect a lot of noise. This will be Friday at 7, and these shows are always just $10 or pay what you can at the door. All right. And Latin vocalist Leela Downs is going to actually perform at the Balboa Theater on Sunday. Uh, Let's take a listen to one of her singles from her latest album. Como yo te amé a ti Aunque sabías Que amor con amor se paga Yo te venía diciendo Que me salías debiendo Por más que te lo explicaba Con manzanas Tu solo corazón No es suficiente Tan poquito amor No me llenaba Right, so that was Dos Corazones from her latest album, La Sanchez, which just came out this summer. And she's been performing and releasing albums since the 90s with this variety of Mexican music styles like cumbia and rancheras. And she's recorded also in multiple indigenous languages. She was raised in Oaxaca and is an anthropologist and and a natural storyteller. And that really translates to her music beautifully. She's a Grammy winner and also has six Latin Grammys under her belt. And this performance is presented by the La Jolla Music Society at Balboa Theater downtown. And the performance is Sunday at seven o'clock. 
You can find details of these and more arts events or sign up for Julia's weekly KPBS Arts newsletter at kpbs.org arts. I've been speaking with KPBS arts producer and editor Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, thanks. Thank you, Jade. That's our show for the week. To listen to all of our episodes, you can find the Midday Edition podcast on all platforms. The Roundtable is here tomorrow at noon. And don't forget to watch Evening Edition tonight at 5 for in-depth reporting on San Diego issues. Before we go, I want to thank the Midday Edition team. Producers Andrew Bracken, Brooke Ruth, Juliana Domingo, Laura McCaffrey, and Ariana Clay. Technical producers Adrian Villalobos and Rebecca Chacon. Art segment contributors Beth Accomando and Julia Dixon-Evans. Midday Edition's theme music is provided by San Diego's own Surefire Soul Ensemble. I'm your host, Jade Hindman. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk again Monday. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.